podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello everyone, Happy New Year. I'm Will Pugh from We Are West Ham and you're listening to the We Are West Ham New Year Special Nostalgia Series. Now myself, James Jones, Tom Edwards and Charlie Hawkins had a break from the Love Sport Radio Airways for a couple of weeks to give us a chance to have a Christmas break of our own, just like West Ham were given by Liverpool's appearance at the Club World Cup. Now before this episode starts, we heard the terribly sad news that a World Cup winning hero, Martin Peters, died before Christmas after a long struggle with dementia. So first and foremost, I'd like to offer sincere condolences and best wishes to those closest to Martin at what must be an extremely difficult time. I, like a fair portion of our listeners, am too young to have seen Martin play, but I still felt a profound sadness upon hearing the news and reading the tributes as they poured in for the great man. Reaction in the media and online after the news broke made it clear what a sad blow Martin's death was to the whole nation, but at West Ham, the loss of course will be felt that much deeper. Martin's achievements were perhaps sometimes overlooked given his place among West Ham's most famous trio, but, if at all he was, being slightly overshadowed by England's World Cup winning captain and the only man in history to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final is not so bad in my book and I know I'd certainly take it. Martin played 364 times for West Ham, scoring 100 goals in the process between 1959 and 1970. He was part of the Hammers team that won the European Cup Winners' Cup in 1965, a victory viewed by many as the greatest in the club's history, and it was that same season that Martin won Hammer of the Year for the first and only time in his career. England World Cup manager Alf Ramsey described him as 10 years ahead of his time, while his natural ability and pace earned him the nickname The Ghost for his ability to pop up undetected in crowded penalty areas to score on countless occasions. Martin's footballing achievements are there for all to see, and will rightfully remain so for eternity thanks to his inspirational role in England's first ever World Cup glory. But one thing that should never be overlooked is that he was a great man. I was lucky enough to meet him on one occasion, and he was kind and friendly to me, which is exactly how he's remembered by almost everyone who has spoken out about Martin since his death. And I don't suppose everyone who left West Ham for Tottenham in their career will be able to say that when they die. Touching messages poured in from across the football world when the news broke, but Martin's long-time friend and teammate Sir Jeff Hurst was one of the first to pay tribute to the talented midfielder, and his words read, Today is a very sad day for football and for me personally. Martin Peters was one of the all-time greats and a close friend and colleague of mine for in excess of 50 years, a fellow World Cup final goalscorer and my West Ham partner for years along with Bobby Moore. R.I.P. old friend. So once again, condolences and best wishes from everyone here at We Are West Ham and I'll leave you with words from our very own West Ham United who I think put it best. Our World Cup winning heroes Bobby Moore, Martin Peters and Sir Jeff Hurst will stand eternal as West Ham United's three proudest sons. Rest in peace, Martin Peters, who died before Christmas, age 76. You are listening to the We Are West Ham podcast, and I'm delighted this afternoon to be joined by my friend and huge West Ham fan, Reese Bayliss. What we're doing today, we're bringing you, this is episode one of the Nostalgia series. At the moment, it's just a pilot. It's episode one of what could be 10, 15, 20, who knows. But you'll know We Are West Ham at the moment, of course, from the live radio show that me and James Jones do every Tuesday night on Love Sport Radio. And if you're a regular subscriber to the podcast, you'll obviously have heard us from that every week. But me and Reese have been friends for a long time now, and we had an idea a few weeks ago, or a few months ago, it's been brewing for quite some time, 
We're both lifelong West Ham fans. You'll know that about me. You'll have heard Reese's name if you'd listen to the West Ham show every week because he is, in fact, the quiz master. James is beating me at the moment, as most of you all know, which is very disappointing. But we wanted to bring something to you know to West Ham fans. We thought there was a bit of a gap in the market for I say it's it's called the Nostalgia series, and we want to we want to have a little bit of a look back and a hark back what we remember from some seasons. Me and Reese have had part of our friendship for a very long time now. We, we've got a little bit of an obsession uh, or a fascination with some absolutely obscure and bizarre players that West Ham have had in the past. And it's, you know, it's, it's been sort of stalwart of our friendship. So first of all, Reese, welcome officially on air to We Are West Ham. Thank you very much, mate. Nice to have Lovely you here. Lovely to be here. I know. Lovely tell me about it. We've, we've been thinking about this for quite a while, haven't we? Yeah, to be honest, mate, I think there's, there's you know, I think the problem is that when we go to the games, we all have a good beer. And that's it. Old players come out. Do you remember this game? Do you remember that game? So I think what better way than to send yeah. it out, get everyone to listen to it? Because I'm sure there's we're not the only two that nah, have these not. obsessions, mate. Um, nah, that's it. I mean, it's 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 been something from our point of view. We've I think it, it sort of goes hand in hand with the West Ham thing, doesn't it? Because yeah. West Ham have had so many players through the door who you just look at, and for want of a better word, I just pony. Yeah, yeah, and you know, and I think the only sort of choice that we've got from West Ham fans' point of view is to laugh at, isn't it? And we've sort of made a bit of an art of that for the past God knows how many years. <laughs> if you uh, if you go back through mine and Reese's through our snap uh, yeah. our WhatsApp history, all it is is just me and you throwing names of bizarre, obscure. I, I West don't Ham think I've called you by your first name, mate, for probably about a year and a half. <laughs> have I really exactly so uh, exactly, but, but that's that's you know that is the thing we've. West Ham and it? it's yeah. the uh, the comedy element as well in it mate yeah, so you've, uh, you've got to have that so the, the idea came from that time but we also do like looking back and remembering seasons gone by often with claret and blue or rose tinted spectacles if you will but what so what we thought we'd do we'd just throw one out there and you know have, have a look back at certainly around the players but also seasons that we remember and that we look back on really fondly and if it's something that works well and the format that you know you'll like and we've got a lot of listeners already which me and James are very lucky to have we've launched the we are West Ham platform this year and it's something that you know we, we just want to bring something a bit new and a bit different so we decided for episode one of the We Are West Ham Nostalgia series, we would be bringing you, of course, the last season at Upton Park. And it didn't really take too much thinking about this, did it, mate? No. No, what a good way to start. It's, it was just one of them seasons that everything clicked in the end, didn't it? And finished on such a high but such a low. Um, and I think, you know, it'd just be nice to have a good chat about it. There's so many things happened that year, you know, for personal and... You know, from the, the club point of view, so you know, it's it's certain things just happen that probably will never happen again, will they? And that's that's what we were. That, you're right, and that's what we were talking about, wasn't it? When we you know, we were talking about introducing uh, this idea and doing mm. it in the first place, is how you, you just almost as much as you remember the games and the highlights, which you know the skies and the BBCs of the world are really good at doing. The things that they don't do from a fan's point of view is remember, like you were talking to me earlier on about, oh, yeah, I got engaged that year. And mm. I remember the, the Chelsea game where I had a massive crash in the A13 and I missed the game. I had to turn around and go home. It's, it's those bits yeah. that you remember as well as yeah, what I happens think, on the pitch. You know, I think people don't... Everyone has their own personal experience when they go to games, don't they? It's, you know, whether you've got kids or you're going with your mates and it's the usual meet-up before the game, a few beers or... 
you know, pine chips or pine mash. That's it into the ground. So, you know, I've, I think hopefully with this, it just give everyone, you know, a, just a sort of reminiscing about why they go to football, why we like West Ham. Even looking back on who your first goal scorer was, you know, the different. Not a lot of people are going to have the same and things like that. So, as I say, this is what we want to try and do, and it. it's it's a uh, if it brings back memories of families and things you've done. You know, that's, and it's also how I remember a lot of stuff, if you ask my wife. Yeah. <laughs> Anniversaries, people's birthdays and that, I'll be like, oh yeah, because I remember we beat so-and-so or yeah. we lost to so-and-so. So, Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> well, like I say, this is We Are West Ham. This is episode one of the nostalgia season and this is 2015-2016, last season at Upton Park. So we can only start, really, if we're talking about the last season at Upton Park, if we're talking about 2015-2016, we can... Only, we have to talk about the elephant in the room, and that is the the fact that it was going to be that last season, our spiritual home, the place we all love going, the place I grew up watching football, and the place you grew up watching football. So, what were your? Obviously, it had all been decided by then. It had been rubber stamped. We'd had all the you know the consultation periods or so-called consultation periods, and it was you know it was done. What were your? What did you feel about it then? Like going into that season at that stage. Um, a bit of, it was a bit of both, uh, if I'm honest. I think that we'd, obviously, we'd all been up to the reservation centre, as you say. We'd done our seats and we got shown this is going to be, we're going to do this and do that. And in all fairness, I'd done the uh, the farewell bowling tour. Um, oh, yeah. In, in, prior, to, I think it was either just before the start of the season or just into the start of the season. And when you actually look around the ground... Um, I will mention it a lot, but I'm quite lucky that I can go in the old corporate yeah, side yeah. of things. Um, so that's a, probably that's worth mentioning now, actually. So we, for, for the both of us, my season ticket to Upton Park was in the East Stand Upper in line with the penalty area on the Bobby Moore end. And I literally sat in the East Stand Upper from when I was born. I had one season in the Bobby Moore Upper when I decided that it wasn't cool to go with my dad and my granddad anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and I went with my mate, uh, Adam and uh, Adam McCarthy for for the year, and also realised that whilst the atmosphere is good in the Bobby Moore, you can't see. So yeah. get yeah. me back to the East Stand up straight away. But you you had a season ticket as well, but in the more recent years, yeah, I went. Of... I started off in the Centenary Upper, and then ended up in the Doctor Martin's Lower, and that was yeah, that was from when it was built to when we left, and made some fantastic friends that I do bump into now and again that sat round me. Yeah, and it was... I mean, our seat was... Uh, we were just off of the penalty area towards the Centenary or the Trevor Brook, you know, if you want to call it. I still call it Centenary. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the view was superb. Always liked it down there because you always had the, you know, the the part of where the subs would warm up and the, the, old, the old classic Chav Corner. <laughs> so, you know, I remember some players down there, Carragher, People like that, Odin Wingy, that time when he went to, uh, he thought he was going to get a move, but they always used to take it, and yeah, I liked it, in, I did like it in the main stand, mm. sat everywhere in the ground, like every like everyone else probably did, and yeah, it just felt, you but, know, that was just the one, we didn't think about moving because the seats were decent. No, but in um, that last season, uh, certainly the last season up to Park, you had, you, you tend to spend a bit more time in the corporate yeah, boxes. Yeah, very lucky, a friend of mine, he's, uh, his dad had a box over there for... 12, 11, 12 years and 
yeah, most weeks I was lucky enough to get in there. And as I say, going back to the story about the tour, when you actually go round it, it needed a lot of money spent on it. Mm. Um, Even though it was quite obviously, especially that main stand, yeah, because the yeah. tour only really, yeah, the really tour included the main yeah. stand. Wasn't yeah, it? I mean, it, it was, you know, and it, for something so new, that's the thing, and I think that's the problem with a lot of grounds where. We like the traditional part of the ground, but even the the stands, as you mentioned, that have been built recently, that you know, you, I, I I I don't know how much you'd have to spend on them. It was, you know, when we went round it, decor and things like that, and you could tell that it was becoming very outdated. Which you can see why teams want to get new grounds, revenue, mm. and things like that. Yes, I was I was all for it because of the things we were promised. I know a lot more people. So were you? you sorry, just to no, so you before the stadium move, were you? At the time, yeah, really, yeah, 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 hundred percent. Mine was a completely different one. I mean, I sat in the east stand, so I saw that every single week. How all right, the other three might be a little bit tired or a little bit dated, but if we can make any improvements, like this is this is the one yeah. that needs doing. Yeah, you know, there was that one. It was such a standout ground, wasn't it? Yeah. And sorry, stand. And while it was it was class, and I loved it. I loved going. The view was second to none in the whole league. Not just not just because we were a little bit elevated, but so close to the pitch. I think that was the problem with the chicken run. If they could have, I don't know again how whether it was true or not. But if if they couldn't have renovated that part, if we could have got it to sort of forty eight thousand, I reckon that would have been Perfect. spot on. I reckon yeah, that would have but, been spot on. And you know what? I'll be honest with you, mate. That's what one of the things that sticks with me most about the whole thing because I. I even now, still today, I, I, I'm not as anti-London Stadium as a lot of people are. I think it's actually all right. Like we got pretty lucky with our seats the first year. Yeah. I think the view's pretty good. I think on atmosphere, or as far as that goes, on good games and good matches when we're playing well, I think the atmosphere's good. When it's not, the atmosphere's not good, just like it was at Upton Park. But the thing that sticks with me still is, and I need to do a bit more digging on it, but the... One of the reasons that we got told that the East Stand couldn't be extended was because, you remember the bus garage yeah, yeah, at yeah. the back of the East Stand? Yeah. yeah, the reason was that that was such a vital bus depot for the whole of East London, there was no way you could block that road off or that that could be moved. Yeah. Because, and that's what you'd have to do to extend the East Stand, yeah, which yeah. made sense because yeah. naturally you'd go higher and you'd have to go back. And yeah, that's I remember hearing that at the time because I was very much look. All right, we might be able to move, but the east stand is falling to bits, and we're not a at the time, and I'm still not sure now. But we're not a sixty, sixty-five thousand club yet. No. You know, I, I, I certainly our core fan base. I didn't feel that was true, and I thought like you just said that forty-eight thousand would work. And the thing that annoys me and upsets me the most, and it's something I'm looking into at the moment, is the. The bus garage at the back, obviously, you know, once it's all the decision had been made on behalf of all of us, apparently, to move stadiums and, you know, that's what was happening. Now, there's flats there and that bus garage has moved. Yeah. The road yeah, has I'd... closed and, and all of a sudden that, that sort of excuse or reason has disappeared into the wind and my, uh, it doesn't sit comfortably with my, me. Th- my thoughts on the ground, the, mo- the parts that, for me, was um, getting in and out of the ground in terms of travel from Essex. It weren't. It, it was nowhere near bad at Upton Park. You know, we all had the, especially when I was a lot younger. You know, running to the station before the gates get put up to try and get in and all that. But it, again, it wasn't till I actually went to the ground. You don't realise how far it is from the station. So 
I used to walk from Upton Park. Stratford, to, you mean? Yeah, Stratford. Stratford yeah, yeah. yeah, that's what I'm saying. So, you know, that I was always of the right, yeah, you'd be able to get in and, you know, if you needed to get back or things like that. But in all honesty, we used to walk to Plasto and I think probably only a three or four minutes difference now. That's what it's, it is, Stratford. I was very much for the, the family side of things. Um because if football is an expensive is expensive game now, you know, to give kids the opportunity to go up, dads or granddads or whatever, and that's the things that I was very much for. Yeah, you know, it's easier it's to say of, now, yeah, isn't it? It's yeah, just because I, I I look back at the time and I was, I just thought the from my point of view, I thought it was too much of a big jump, and I thought the the East End that bit hadn't been looked into. I felt the answers we'd had to the East End refurb, which I think just as you've seen at Liverpool with the extension to the yeah, yeah. that main stand at Anfield, that's done them the world of good. Isn't it? It's got a load of X yeah. amount more people in every week, you know. And I was just a little, always a little bit. This doesn't feel right because I feel like something's being hidden there because surely something more could be done. It seemed like. The powers that be had decided they wanted the move prior to any sort of, you know, so-called engagements yep. or, and I don't think any answers to questions about what could have been done with that existing site, i.e., which people, you know, are not quick to forget is our spiritual home where we all, me, you, my dad, my granddad, you're, you know, we all started going to watch West Ham. Yeah. And I think that decision was taken well before any of us lot were engaged. <laughs> Sort of moving more towards on the pitch matters, like in this, the the main sort of difference, I suppose, was the departure of Big Sam over the summer. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. You know, I think it was it was massively needed. I again personally, I think he done a good job. See, again, couldn't um, disagree. I I think good job is just I, I can I. I look back at Sam. Even now, you can hear me. I'm literally <laughs> tensing up. It's just making me angry because I think. Watching Sam Allardyce in charge of West Ham in the Premier League was the it was just everything that was wrong with modern day football for me because you know in the Championship I mean you know we went to plenty of away games yeah, I think yeah, I missed yeah. two away games yeah. that season in the Championship when we came up and it was fantastic it was just nice to see us winning games it yeah. was great fun yeah. but that the the Premier League stuff under Allardyce from from my point of view as a and this is where I think the difference is which used to annoy me when pundits would say oh he's doing a good job what more do West Ham fans want the thing that used to wind me up is well, you don't have to go and sit there no. and watch it for an hour and no, a half I did, uh, yeah, I every did, other uh, week mate so the, my description of a good job right before you think I'm like <laughs> I've got a poster, I've got a poster of him on my wall because he like he like a pint, pint of gravy or something like that <laughs> of his dinner but you know stability wise was the club was back I felt the only thing that annoyed me at the end of his tenure you know we had that you're right his style of football which will always get him jobs because you know people need that if they're under from pressure bit, yeah from a business um, sense yeah we were fourth at Christmas and we just totally blew it so I felt you know him going would give us that that platform then to try and get someone else in with new ideas. My own, again, the only risk was, and again, I remember reading. I think it was Richard Keys or someone like that. The old "Be careful what you wish for" was frying up again. To put all that pressure though on the last year at Upton Park, where you've got to potentially give the fans, you know, a season to remember. That he was not the man for that. Was no, he? no, hundred percent. No way, anything. No, that's what I'm saying. You know, I, if I can retract my good statement, yeah, he'd done a, you know. It was it was a job that he needed did. to be done. Exactly. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But as I say, that's why that man will always. There are certain managers, but on the other hand, 
he knows he can get results from that. So would yeah. you turn around and go? No, if you're, if can you're you try and do nosed, something different? Yeah. yeah, you're right. There were games. I mean, remember that game where he cupped his ear where we won two one and he was like, oh, the whole hole, the whole home Tuesday night with one, with one. So yeah, I know he understands that points are the different. But you're right. There yeah, are people that exactly. pay fifty, sixty quid to come watch Sa- it. Sam Allardyce is a manager who only he cares about no one in the ground other than the people in the director's yeah. box does he and fair enough that's what pays his yeah. salary he's yeah. got a much more hard nosed way of approaching football and yeah. but that's not what it's about you know and you had a man and we'll move on to him now obviously Slav got appointed yeah. Yeah. and there is a man who perhaps almost too much to his detriment is at the other side of the scale where perhaps he you know he probably panders a lot more to the other 35,500 people yeah. in the ground who aren't in the director's box. Yeah. Exactly yeah. that, mate, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. So what was, your, what was your thoughts on Slav? Uh, fantastic, fantastic. Before, but, when he was appointed? Yeah, I was always, you know, I, I, I can't really remember who was in the running. I think was Benitez in the running that year as well. Was, was that the, the usual, as, was, as, was as Slaven we, like fifth choice? Or yeah. if I remember something like that. It was and, classic West Ham when it like we do with strikers. We'll, like, yeah. we'll release a story saying that we're yeah, released we with... Ronaldo and yeah. you know Lacazette yeah. and all that sort of yeah. carry on. It, it, so it's you know when he come in, I feel we needed that back, that sort of closeness between manager and fans. You know, and, and, because that was a you tough know, we've time. All, yeah, that's the thing. Obviously, we still had a few players that were very much close to home. You know, Mark Noble and obviously Tompkins was still there and things like that. So you know, when he was appointed, I I I, I do like our tradition although it hasn't happened a lot in the like in the recent years where you have an ex-player or someone associated with a club that can come in my only problem like anything is eventuality if they have to leave and you know if there's a fallout I remember Trevor Brooking when he was in charge and I think he never wanted to take the job because of I don't think he'd ever want the fallout with the no, fans no, no. No, you know I right. think Di Canio was obviously mentioned probably that year as well but I think that was like you say we'd slip so far away the 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 void between the fans and the people in charge from a footballing perspective had, there was such a huge gulf wasn't yeah, there they were saying they needed two men um, so I think he, you know obviously brought Dixie back in yeah exactly um, there was that there was that connection that had been re-established yeah. which like you say going into the last season that, that was important so on the obviously positive stuff as far as the management goes, we'd all sort of got on board, whether we agreed with it or not, that we were moving from away from Upton Park. And this is the bit I was most looking forward to of the whole podcast. Again, this is kind of where the idea come from. That is our squad list going into the season. And what I've got down here on the running order we put together earlier on was, so your squad list going into the year, your favourite players and your favourite LOL players. Cool. Because, as you know, me and you do love an absolute <laughs> rascal of a, uh, of a centre forward. And as we were putting it in here, and, you know, as many a phone call and text as we've shared when I ring you up and go, Reese, it's uh, it's me, but you'll have to call me uh, John M and N K today. Uh, so that was my favourite number. Number 29, Emmanuel M and E K, who was uh, who was part of the squad list going into the season. But just to go through it quickly, we've got the the three keepers, were Randolph, Adrian and Spiegel. Uh, Adrian, we sort of, you know, you had him as number one, but they were both, him and Randolph, both 32. And as the season progresses, we'll talk about the two of them kind of had a bit of a tug of war for the shirt. The defenders, you had Reed, Cresswell, James Tompkins, 
Hopkins, Joey O'Brien, James Co- yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Collins, Ogbonna, Sam Byram, Donnell Henry, Reese Burke, and Stephen Hendry is our official defenders list. They uh, any uh, so you touched on Joey O'Brien there, but <laughs> some I think looking back now and remembering what that season ended up being like. You know, a lot of those names in there, Cresswell, Reed, Ogbonna, they probably had their best seasons of their career in the end that year. And then moving on into midfield, you've got Alex Song. I can't believe, you know, what a, what a player he was, what year he had. Cheku Kiati, Pedro Obiang, Mark Noble, Victor Moses, Dimitri Payet, the Mercurial, Manuel Lanzini, Michael Antonio, Reese Oxford, and then up front, Andy Carroll, Enna Valencia, Diafra Sacco, and my favourite Emmanuel Emenenke <laughs> so and you hear back those names now and you obviously remember what a year they had but going into the season first of all who's your favourite just you know hilarious player in that squad that you just is classic West Ham I think you see, see me by saying Joey O'Brien <laughs> when he was there he was just like yeah, he was just he, he was another he was just another Allardyce signing that he was I don't know. It was part but, of the club with Matt Taylor. Yeah, do you know what worse. I mean? He, he, I mean, in fairness, he chipped in with a couple of goals and he was another one I don't think that ever let us down. It's, it's, you know, but yeah, sometimes <laughs> I don't. O'Brien, yeah, he's Joey O'Brien. I mean, in all fairness, in the, the players that we had. Who were you most excited about then, going into um, that? Do you know what? was Alex Song. Well, I went to, I went to the friendly that was at Upton Park so our pre- it was at the the Betway Cup. We had Verda Bremen. Yeah, yeah, I went Betway to that. Cup, um, yeah. And a Mr. Manuel Lanzini caught my eye that day. Mm. I know we've we've been excited with a lot of players that we've had, but he looked at, like technically, he looked absolutely superb. Payet, I'd never heard of him. No. Um, like I'm sure a lot of us hadn't. Um, who were our summer? Just go through. I know you've got them down there. Who were our summer signings? Well, in, by the looks of it, how many we obviously Randolph come in, Ogbonna come in, Sammy Byram come in in January, Obiang, Moses on loan, Payet, Lanzini, Antonio, and Emanike. So all of those, that, um, all of those players came in prior to. So I know you said Byram was January there, but that that squad list I read out was our squad list yeah. by the time the end um, of the season swung round. For one of the things that was always a, you know. You've got to remember that we lost certain players that, you know, I, th- I always rated Stewie down and I thought he'd done a job. I understand the money we got offered for him was good, so it's good for him to move on. I know uh, Kevin Nolan obviously had a couple of games at the start of the season. Um, again, again, I was just, I was so fed up of seeing him in a West Ham shirt in a Premier League game come that last season. Yeah, I, just, I, just, I think it's another player that I think if he'd gone at the end of the season when Allardyce had gone. You know, he's another player. I thought he was fantastic for us, fantastic captain. Yeah, um, for, for what he, when he was in the championship, but, he was. Like, yeah, I, I just I think at the you know at the end, and it was it, I hate it sometimes when when players get near the end of their careers, and you know you have to <laughs> you have to start booing them and stuff like that. <laughs> you know, if they, if they don't. Yeah, yeah. But obviously, his game was very much built on getting in the box, getting a couple of goals, and I remember, I think it was the I don't know if it was his last game of the Bournemouth game, and I remember we we broke towards the end of the game and we were chasing it and he was pretty much still on the edge of our penalty area when we were the other you know it's I'm blowing yeah man after my own heart well, <laughs> yeah, but, exactly. you know it's so to lose influential players like that people like uh, Jelovic coming as well didn't he at the end um, but I mean going into that season I remember thinking Alex Song this fella has played for Arsenal he's played for Barcelona and he's only 31 mm. I just you know beside myself and 
to be fair, he was outstanding, wasn't yeah. he? He's often yeah. forgotten for that season. Yeah, I, Pyatt I, burst onto the scene. Lanzini was incredible that year as well. Diafra Sacco had the you know the best season of his life. But Alex Song at the base of that midfield was just he was just you, a string if, puller, wasn't he? If you ever get in a conversation after a few beers with uh, our mate Barrett, he would have him. We always talk about this best eleven and all that, and he had him in there for a bit. And you could see why the geezer played at the level we did. Absolutely. Obviously yeah. had issues with his, I think it was his knees, wasn't it? Yeah, and, yeah. You know, and so training and stuff like that. But the quality side of things, he was, mm. you know, he was different class. But I also think that season, once the midfield was, was made up of Noble, Chiarty, Lanzini and Payette, was like we didn't know then, did we? That's that gonna be, thing. you know, that's gonna be the thing. Zerati was chucked in now and again. Obviously, Antonio will come onto it later in, but yeah, yeah, he was right wing and he was right back. So that midfield, again, I think with Chiarty, he was another one that, you know, on his day we said he was an absolute beast. He was. had like the lungs on him and things like that, and he chipped man, in with goals. Poor but man's Yaya Torre. Th- that's the, you know. I, I, and I think we miss something like that now. I mean, again, we'll, we will get onto this, but I, I agree with you about Kiyahe. But I think going into that year, there was a lot of... I, I don't think going into that season that you you would have imagined that we ended up having the season that we did, from my but, perspective, just based on those no, players. Not, not, uh, if you said at the start and then said, this is where you'll finish, you'll be like, and blimey. this is how it'll go. How we, who are we going to beat and all that? Exactly. So. Now that's it. So obviously we've got a we've got a decent idea there. That was sort of our general feelings going into the season. One of a little bit of trepidation about the stadium acceptance and looking forward to it. And I think some one certainly of hope that you know we were going to do that that famous old ground some justice in our in our last year, which obviously we ended up doing. And so what we'll have a we'll have a look at next is the you know just sort of we'll get into the season properly, start and look at some of the games and and that first six to ten games and what a start it was. So as we move on to our next segment, we've got the start of the season. Like the, you know, we we know what we're doing with the ground. We know what the players are looking like, and we're we're just, you know, the standard sort of thing where you're well excited. You've had enough of the break of summer. You've had enough of a few weeks of no football, and I'm sure you're getting dragged around by your missus. And I was trying to drag myself around looking for a missus, no doubt. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, then we, you know, straight into pre-season. Obviously, we'd we'd qualified for the Europa League the season before via the the most bizarre method that any one could ever qualify for European competition because we didn't get that many yellow cards and I remember the last game of that last season me just being right on the edge of my seat like I didn't care what the score was I was like don't get booked no don't one get, get booked, booked. <laughs> um yeah so obviously started the pre-season a little bit earlier on 11th of July was our first pre-season game we had Peterborough United away we played Southend away and beat them 3-2 Colchester away lost 1-0 uh, Charlton away, Norwich away, beat them 1-0, and then the uh, Betway Cup, you know, the infamous Betway Cup, which we still only managed to win once out of five <laughs> goes, I think that is. Uh, yeah, lost that at, at home to Werder Bremen. But then, of course, we did have we did have something exciting. We did have something new, which, you know, was going to go, hopefully, or that was the plan, to go hand-in-hand with that romantic last year that we were going to have at Upton Park. And that was the Europa League. Obviously, where we qualified for the through the fair play channels rather than actually being good at football, we we started that a little bit early. When in the first round, in the second of July, was our was our first Europa League qualifier against Lusitanos. Two legs, three 0 at home, and beating one 0 away. 
I mean, I've sort of eradicated it from my memory. Can you remember much um, about that? Well, all three of the games, really, mate. I remember it being nice that I think we had like a month's break before the footy was back. Do you know what I mean? And mm. I think Slaven got presented at that game. Um, comfortable game. I think the main thing out of the Europa, I think we all wanted to obviously go through. It give him a good chance to look at fringe players. A few people to mention, Poet, Boy, yeah. My Eager, people like that, Amal Fatano. Don't know obviously what happened when he left, but you know these players could get used with the likes of the Tomkins and Winston Reid and all that. So I don't really know. It's, an, it's another one of them... I think it helped us. It's just awkward because, I mean, it's a bit of an age-old cliche in football now, isn't it, about... Uh, obviously, so we went on after the after seeing off Lusitanos. We then went played Burkara and we beat them <laughs> 1-0 at home, then lost 1-0 away and managed to squeeze through 5-3 on penalties. I'll, t- I'll tell you a quick story about that, actually. We, Ma- a Maltese team. The, they were, uh, they? I remember watching it in, the, uh, in a local pub where we live and... I was due to say due. I was going to propose to my wife, my now wife, and I said to the three of the lads that were in there, "If we lose on penalties and go out, I weren't going to propose." <laughs> <laughs> well, um, Lauren will be buzzing. Uh, yeah, yeah, I know. You know what I mean. She don't know that, but um, <laughs> yeah. So that you know that that, that day and that game will always uh, I'll always remember that because as well that that. It gives me the uh, thing to remember when we got engaged. Do you yeah, know what I mean? What that's I mean, what I was saying earlier on about results. But yeah, I'll never be remembering Bukhara away no, where we lost. No, I mean the the second game. Uh, the, sorry, the third the third game against Astra. However you want to pronounce the Astra. Yeah, I mean the the Gurgu, generally accepted you know. pronunciation among West Ham fans is Astra Girigu or yeah, Astra Gugu, um, isn't it? But yeah, and I remember that game. I think Collins got sent off. I think we went two and up. Collins got sent off and. It was just that, oh, is this how it's going to go? We're going to score, but we're going to concede. Obviously, we lost out there, so there was the European adventure again. Mm, you well, know? I remember being gutted. You mentioned it there, but I remember that was the year, you'll remember, that I went travelling. So I left the country <coughs> in uh, February, I believe it was. I missed the majority of the last season, and then I didn't get back into England until like early September. Mm. So I literally remember I was absolutely buzzing. I was watching all the games while I was, you know, abroad and stuff. And I remember, you know, at the end of the season, we didn't get those bookings in the last game. I was like, oh, class, we're going to have a European run. And I was absolutely desperate. So I didn't actually see any of those games. So I was still out the country. I knew I was coming home on September the 1st. I was absolutely desperate for us to get through those rounds. So we'd get in the group stages and then I'd come back to England, back into West Ham again every week and we'd have a European run. Yeah, and then we flip and lose to <laughs> Asher Girigou. Two, yeah, two all at home yeah. and then uh, lost 2-1 away, didn't we? And like you say, it was one of them just classic West Ham, if you will, just completely saying over before it started. I, I think the problem, our main problem with the European side of things is, you know, it's... As fans, we'd we'd love to get as far as we could in Europe, you know, and then it'd just be our luck that we'd end up get, getting relegated as well, you know. It's it's one of them that I, I again I was I was disappointed, but I was also a you know bit of a blessing in disguise. Yeah. No Sunday games and all. Yeah, that, that was another Thursday Sunday. Thursday yeah. Sunday, you know yeah. what I mean? Let's just have the old. Well, Three o'clock on a Saturday. James Jones, who, if you listen normally, you'll know that James is the my regular co-presenter, co-host, who's who's on with me every week. He's reminds me very often that Astragugu, as he puts it, were actually the Romanian champions. So right. everyone needs to calm down a bit. Right. Remember how good they were. But then I think <laughs> the team that me and you used to play for, Reese Sweethearts, they could have <laughs> given the old Romanian league a bit of a go as well. So. 
so obviously Europa League uh, finished before it's even started really but what a start to the Premier League season we started it in if ever there was a classic West Ham style it was the way we started this Premier League season Arsenal away first game you think ah oh, great that's you know starting off the season with a with a defeat probably you know we had the old uh, last team at Highbury swilling around in our brains last team at Highbury and then you're going to the Emirates' first game of the season and Reese Oxford makes his debut at the age of about nine years old or whatever he was at the time and we come away with a 2-0 victory. Uh, what? Kiyati with the opener, wasn't it? And then yeah, Mauro Zarate. Uh, yeah, yeah. Mauro Zarate with the winner. You know, you're, uh, it was just another one of them fixtures were out and you're thinking, blimey, here we go again. Hmm. Um, hasn't been kind to us since either, has it? So, no. you know, it's... but. Oxford, uh, from my point of view, and um, when I hear about that game, I don't know about you, but my, I just think Reese Oxford debut sixteen, and it was all yeah. uh, he was he was mustered when he yeah. he ran sure. yeah, he like just, you, you he, mentioned earlier, he didn't we? literally he just done the basics so well, mm. and I just thought to myself, I thought we've got a kid here that's gonna that's it, you know, what I mean, it, it, and the actual I remember the first half being a bit sort of a bit cagey, Arsenal had as they do a lot of possession and all, I think they at the bar and one of them, right, let's get into half-time at least nil-nil. We're not getting, they had, a lot of, they had a lot of possession and that, but there weren't massive chances. And then obviously right on half-time, pay it as he did. Whipped absolute a demon of a free kick. Yeah. And, you know, all of a sudden you're going in one nil up and you're thinking now... Kiyarty nipped in front of the first man, didn't he? Just yeah, dinked it yeah, over Peter Cech come flying out. And did his classic little C yeah. celebration <laughs> with his hand as he loved. Um, but, you know, it was one of them that you them thinking, blimey, if we can get a draw out, I don't know mm. whether I'm the only fan that does it, if we go one nil up away from home, I'm like, oh, we get a draw out of this. Um, <laughs> but, Certainly at some of the Arsenal, though. Yeah, and, you know, to, again, the second half, I think, you know, the way we come out of the second half, the, the first 15 minutes was always massive and... Payet showed his class and he was on the ball, getting some free, good free kicks and good positions where it was just slowing the game down, you know, and then to nick the second goal. Zerati, wasn't it? Zerati who, yeah, yeah. who got the yeah. second. And so I missed him, I missed him off of the off of the squad list earlier on, actually. But he he was a man that I, I loved him. I don't know. I don't know what your thoughts on him were, but I thought he was he was class. He's at Boca Juniors now, yeah, still banging him in with I, Carlos, and you know I've still got the. Romantic he was very. I don't know. For me, he was, he, I know you have to be. He just felt a bit of a greedy player to me mm. at times, and there was bits where he, you know his defensive side of things. But then we've had a lot of players like that since, so I can't. I don't know. It was just one of them players that I never, you know. I never really sort of, to. but scored some crucial goals. Yeah, I think that's what I can remember. Obviously, Chelsea would be scored in, and we'll come on to that later as well. But so I say, we we mentioned there we started the season in classic West Ham style. So that you know historic win uh, away at Arsenal. Obviously, we'd already had the the last team at Highbury, first team at Emirates. That song was firmly in the uh, in the hymn sheet for most away games, which we all loved, obviously. And again, getting that win again, Reese Oxford, he burst onto the scene. You think, ah, this is it. Yeah, this is going to be brilliant. And then, yeah, vintage West Ham, two home games in a row after we've beaten Arsenal away. We lose 2-1 at home to Leicester and 4-3 at home to Bournemouth. And brilliant. So three points out of our first three games where we'd have probably thought six out of nine. And then, oh, now we've got to go to Ramfield. Great. Uh, we haven't won there for 745 years, <laughs> I think it was at the time we travelled up there. And lo and behold, not only do we get a first win there, we absolutely demolish them and come away with a 3-0 win. Mark Noble with one of the 
oddest finishes I've ever seen in my whole entire life. And, I mean, what Lanzini scored is what, what do you remember from that? Well, obviously, Lanzini, I think that was his first start. It was a good finish. It was another one of them where we seemed to start games well that season. And I was quite impressed with that, where we've got to go up nice and early. We've got a second goal. So you had Manuel Lanzini on three minutes yeah. opened the scoring yeah. with uh, one of them sort of yeah a little poke it got a bit lucky didn't yeah, he really yeah. and then Mark Noble scores on half an hour again the ball sort of falls from on the edge of the box he kept his head and just slotted it in the bottom right corner and then Coutinho gets sent off on fifty two minutes for a second yellow again play of the skill gorge, little bit of skill yeah, yeah. drew the yeah. foul in he gets sent off for a second yellow Noble then gets sent off again on seventy eight minutes a straight red for the most tame slide tack you've ever seen where he gets 100% of the ball and then the Liverpool bloke just goes over rolling, holding his ankle and then Sacco boshes up on 92 minutes and, and gets a third and it was, you know, I mean, it was the game was won by then anyway, but uh, bizarre. You, like even, even with the Arsenal result, especially after the two stuttery home games as well, I didn't see that coming, did you? No, nah, not at all. Not even a little not bit? Not at all. I, I think it's just a... It was just a note, as you say, it's just such a West Ham thing. Yeah. But to, you know, to obviously not win at Anfield for them amount of years, it's just unbelievable that we've never done it. But so to win 3 0, and to be fair, it was it was very well deserved and all that day. So that was the first, that was the first win at Anfield. Sorry, I don't know if you've said it in, in 52 years. Blimey. Fit, I mean, that's 1963, I think they said when we was watching the, uh, watching the old season review and some of the highlights earlier on in the in the commentary this is the last time West Ham won at Anfield Martin Peters and Jeff Hurst scored it's incredible I, I, you know but the, the one thing is it, and again it always makes me laugh especially with us is you'll get teams that get promoted that go there the first season and win another year another year another year and yeah, you know I remember watching West Brom beat them there Lukaku was on loan at the time or you know he was playing for them and they beat him 2-1 on a Tuesday even, night like random night like teams like Barnsley I think went there and got a result do you know what I mean so but it was it was another one of them I think you'd what pleased me more was the fact that we were winning away from home yep as we all know our away record 80% of the time when we're in the top flight isn't the greatest. Um, you know, so to start that, two wins, two losses, but they're both at home. It, it was literally completely other way, yeah, wasn't it? You'd, yeah. you'd have gone, um, oh, six points out of those first four games. I'll take I'd that. prefer to win it, do it how we've done it, really. Oh, when, exactly, you know, as, yeah. uh, especially the Liverpool one. To get that monkey off our back. You know? Yeah, 100%. And I think that was the catalyst then going forward to of our style of play. It was like, I feel that we can score a hell of a lot of goals this season. Mm. It's nice to have a a playmaker in the side. Obviously, Payet being the main one, but if you chuck Lanzini, Lanzini as well, in there, yeah, big time. Um, you know that. So going forward, it was nice that we had that to think. You know, I, I know we touched on it earlier with the Allardyce thing, but you know, I felt that if we conceded a goal, mm. there'd be no doubt that we'd score. My, my hatred of Allardyce certainly felt vindicated after those first four games because yeah. I was like, yeah, this yeah. is this is exactly why I wanted rid of, yeah. uh, you know, where we'd had Kevin Nolan in that number 10 before, now we have Manuel Lanzini yeah. or Dimitri Payet. I was like, this is why. So we're touching it there, six points out of the first four games, which, you know, we've had a couple of huge highs away at Liverpool and away at Arsenal. And you're thinking, all right, 
Well, we went and beat Newcastle 2 0 at home. He thought, ah, this is it. This is sort of games. And then you got Man City away. Man City again, a team in their pomp. Aguero starting for them. David Silva on the pitch. Joe Hart was still in goal. And as if I don't really know what was going on then. And we go and win 2 1. Victor Moses bags one in the, in the first half. And it was. Oh, it was it was just mental, wasn't it? Like Victor Moses, Great I remember putting, yes, yeah, he, he puts us one new up. It, it was against a run of play, of course, wasn't it? I mean, just touching on that Newcastle game quickly, I thought he was superb in that. So it was good to see him get a goal, and a, I thought all oh, very good acquisition we've got there. And yeah, the City game, it, it was a it was another one <laughs> another one of them games where you know you know City are going to have fifteen chances whether they're on target or not. The um, the the whole of that game, seventy two percent possession they had for the whole game to right. our twenty eight. The uh, Moses obviously scored and then Diafra Sacco we were two new up after half an hour. Kevin De Bruyne scored just on yep. the stroke. Um, it was another one of them games again, see it till half time see it then I think he scored in like the forty seven fiftieth minute yeah. of uh, extra time in the first <laughs> half. But again it, it showed it showed character keeping you know, keeping the result as it was. And to win three on the bounce, all of a sudden now, you know, we were all like, Aladice, this is the best thing that's ever happened to the club. You know, and I liked it because, never met him, but, you know, Billich seems like a genuine bloke that he wanted it for the fans more than anything. Yeah. You know, and you absolutely. could see that. And, you know, it. as I said, just touched on it earlier, I think that was the catalyst to drive us forward and start getting some... We obviously got the win at home against Newcastle as well, so... You know, it was starting to shape, shape up very, very nice. So uh, at that stage, we're at the the nineteenth of September was the the victory at Manchester City. So you'd had the Newcastle win at home, the heroic wins at Arsenal and Leicester, and then of course City as well, and then the two home defeats to Leicester and Bournemouth, which did feel a bit weird because it was the last season at Upton Park. But again, just to sort of cap off this this opening segment to the season in classic West Ham form once again. You know, we we there was a real feel good feeling by the end of that September, certainly after the City game, and then one of the other things which West Ham fans have harked on about for a long time and still do to this day and to this season, is oh you know if only we could do something in the cups. Two thousand six was certainly one of my favourite seasons. I remember we have Leicester away in the League Cup, twenty second of September, and the Man City bubble is somewhat burst when we we crashed out two one to them. So. We still had, well, well, there was definitely change of foot and we were all looking forward to the season. It, it certainly started well on a, on a league front, but then, you know, in, in classic West Ham fashion, we just flopped out of, the, out of the cup and that was our League Cups over again for, for one extra season. But certainly an encouraging start to the first section of our last season at Upton Park. So we've come to the end of September. The season started really well. We're out the League Cup, but our league form is is fantastic and everyone's pretty excited about the season to come. We had a couple of pretty standard average results at the end of September, beginning of October. We had a two-all, two-two-all draws, in fact. One at home to Norwich City and then one away at Sunderland. I remember that Sunderland game. That was a, I went and that was just a tick off Sunderland off my list. And again... Pretty felt a bit classic West Ham. Should have won. Should have done. Yeah, better, two nil down, and then should have won it in the yeah, end. Yeah, exactly. Come away with a point. But then again, that's when we sort of really started to kick on. We've called this section the big swing. So we're sort of looking at the next nine games. Like I say, started off pretty average. Couple of points. You'd probably rather beat Norwich at home, but and then the point away at Sunderland was good. And then we had a fantastic win away at Crystal Palace. I remember Lanzini sort of burst onto the scene, and that was his first of a spell where he loves a goal against Palace, yeah. doesn't he? Yeah, uh, Payet got the. Uh... The third 
fantastic little chip. Yeah, and then Carl Jenkinson, if I remember yeah, correctly. Yeah, got the first well. one, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the marauding run yeah. down the right, and he poked it home. But then I think the the defining game of this first little section for me, because, you know, we... we uh, with the with the games, obviously the wins against Newcastle, Man City, Norwich, Sunderland, then Palace, Chelsea. We then uh, lost the way to Watford, but that that little segment there just before the Watford defeat was a seven game unbeaten run, and you know certainly that's not something West Ham are used to. But that Chelsea game in particular, let's just let's touch on that. So I'm gonna we beat them two one, beat them two one at home, and we we went one new up. Of course, and it was if my man Zerati. Yeah, Maro Zerati <laughs> again. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Seventeen minutes. He puts this one new up. Tidy little finish from just like around the edge of the box when it drilled it home. And then Gary Cahill gets them. Oh, sorry, Nemanja Matic got sent off, didn't he? Just for half time. Yeah, and obviously Mourinho went because of that as well. That's he it. was chucked up in the director's box. Yeah, and it just had that. And I'm, I'm going to start this. I'm going to preface this. Was this was the game where I was on the way to the game and there was the most monumental crash on the A13. You were in the corporate box that day, weren't you? So you'd gone a little bit earlier. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) you'd been there since about 8 a.m. I was a few (laughs) pints down by then. (laughs) Yeah, and yeah, so we're we're on the A13. There was this monumental crash, big traffic jam as usual. And one, I think probably the only time, I think, in my West Ham supporting career, I've had a season ticket since I was nine and been going on and off since I was four. I'm 27 now. I think the... That was the only time where I'd actually missed a game. The traffic was so bad, and we sat there and we were listening to the first half an hour, and you know we were still somewhere around Raynham or something. <laughs> um, yeah, turned around and went home and just about managed to catch the you know most of the second half on the telly. So I was gutted because I didn't actually get to see it. And I remember, I actually remember us and when Andy Carroll got the the headed winner on seventy nine minutes a little bit of me was annoyed because I wasn't there to see it but you you, you obviously tell us what it was, what yeah, it was like the, the you know as we as we spoke about before this was there were a few teams that I wanted us to make sure that we especially didn't lose to in the last year but to obviously beat Chelsea they were I think you know Chelsea were a bit all over the place manager had lost the dressing room by the sounds of it and it was just again typical. Got back in it. They were back in it at one or after the sending off, and you're thinking, "What's going to happen?" But Cresswell, especially that season, anyway. But his delivery and I, it's one of them games. It's up there with probably the top five. I couldn't probably tell you the other four, but that I've gone most mental at when the goal went in. Yeah. I so like, this is Andy know, Carroll's winner. Up, nine minutes. Yeah. You could just there was. I think there was a little bit of build up where. I think we'd had a corner or something like that, and it got hacked away, and Payet had give it back to Cresswell, and you just could sense the anticipation of the crowd. Everyone was like, get it in the box. <laughs> yeah. There's about eight people in there. Carol is just going to absolutely like steamroller this, and you know when he connected, I, I just remember looking... Again, because Carroll hadn't started the game, had he? That was no, the thing. No, he no, got subbed no, on. I think that was his first goal of the but, season as well. Go on, but, so Cre- Cresswell you know, floats one in. And... There he is, he's up above like eight players, arms everywhere. And I just remember from where I was, the, the box I was in was down towards where my seat was at the other end, but the eruption in the Bobby Moore lower, you know, that's part of me, That it, that's what I part of me miss about the new stadium. Do you know what I mean? You, there was like, it was as if like there was someone in there with a load of like rag dolls being chucked. There was just bodies everywhere. <laughs> and he obviously went into the corner just going absolutely mental. And after that, 
I, I don't. When was when was the goal scored at? Yeah, seventy nine you know? minutes. Yeah, so yeah. the last ten minutes, and I, I, I remember Payet doing a bit of skill right at the end, doing a bit of skill, getting wiped out, and it was the old Olay cheers are coming out. Everyone's on John Terry's back, <laughs> you know. So that was for me to get a result against Chelsea. That that was a such a pleasing result. And I mean, by that stage of the season, you're where are we? The twenty fourth of October that was where we played Chelsea. But by that stage, you've beaten Arsenal, Manchester City, Liverpool. And Chelsea, and you know we're not even into November yet. Yeah, I mean it was really shaping up well. That, but that was our first real signature goodbye to Upton Park game, wasn't it? Yeah, hundred percent. As I say, that that for me was like atmosphere, and especially beating Chelsea because we haven't. Let's be fair, we hadn't done that well against them no. since since they've become what they are, what the modern are, day Chelsea. You know, yeah. So well, you had that. So that was so that was twenty fourth of October, and then it all kind of turned a bit sour for a little bit. We didn't win again until the 28th of December versus Southampton. And, I mean, it is a little bit, you know, when you just look at it, that we didn't win again for that amount of time. It was just a bit of a stale period because it only actually included two defeats and the rest were the rest were draws. One of them defeats was obviously a bit of a slapping at yeah, Tottenham Spurs. on the 22nd of November. That was 4-1 away at Spurs. But with all that, you had a you know, draw at home to Everton, draw at home to West Brom, a nil-nil point away at Man United, drew nil-nil at home to Stoke, nil-nil away at Swansea, three nil-nils in a row, and then a one-all away at Villa. It was all that December was just a little bit, uh, I don't know, just, ugh, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, I was, when I was doing my notes about it in the week, I, for me, that was quite a pivotal point in the season. The Watford game, I remember that was horrific. I think Andy Carroll started and... That, so you write that one off as, yeah, we hadn't lost in nine or whatever it was. Yeah, but, so that was the first one. After you know, the Chelsea game, we the lost Everton game, uh, Everton game started well. Lanzini scored. Lukaku got his token goal <laughs> against West Ham just before half-time. Obviously, that was the game that Payet got the nasty injury. Mm. So, you know, for me, in, in that spell, apart from the Spurs game, from the West Brom game up until the Villa game, well, that's um, the thing. So it, you... it was I felt then that the squad as a whole the players that were being used, dug in, and we were getting results that we needed. We just weren't losing. I know, I'm not going back to the Allardyce bit, but, you know, he was he was such a pivotal point of our side at that point. Pay, I went to, yeah, I mean, I went to the United game at Old Trafford, and in fairness, we should have won it. Mm. We had to post a couple of times, and Zerati had a chance right near the end of the game. So you come away from Old Trafford with a point, with certain players missing, and yeah, you're you're well happy. You, you know, take it, don't Stoke at home, it's never an easy game. Things like that, you know. Right, West Brom at home. I remember the Zerati got a free kick in that. It was on a Sunday. It was raining. It was all a bit drab. And mm. you know, so for me, we got over the the line in them games by just knuckling down as a, as a unit and getting results. That was definitely a period, like you said, you touched on the so that Watford game was the first. That was after Chelsea. We then we lose two 0 away at Watford. Pyatt gets injured, and I think that after that spell there where we don't win again until the 2-1 home victory against Southampton on December 28th, that, that's that period where you really realise, actually, that Pyatt is mustard yeah. and what an impact he was having on the team. So although he was good and he was obviously pivotal and integral before, you still had, you know, you're still one of him and Lanzini were playing well, Sacco was playing well, Cresswell was like a wizard, wasn't he? Yeah. And, yeah. Noble's having the year of his life, as was Winston. Should have got an England team that year, mate. That's it. And I still, yeah, 100%. Yeah, you still, um, if I you think... ask James Jones as well, he'd have him in the England team now. <laughs> <laughs> Just for pens. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think the 
the bit that I still say to this day with Payet is it's surprising how much he bought on certain players that year. You know, exactly. And, and yeah. whatever level you play at, if you play with a better player, naturally you will play better. Whether you whether you try a, a long pass or or a trick or something like that. So that's what I was saying. To lose him must have been such a shock for the boys. Definitely. You know, I- and and because especially. If you're struggling and you've got the go-to ball, you'd give it to him because you think he'd either get a foul, you know, the amount of games you'd go to, and he'd be round the box, and away players wouldn't want to tackle him. No, no, of course. Because a, he's going to take the free kick, and chances are it's going to be on target at least. But you know, to then not have him, that's why I felt that that was quite a, a, a part of the season where we got through it, and then we were say rewarded as such. But you know, we then started getting results again you know there was obviously that bit in it where Slavin had his issues with Chad Belief and he wanted us to go over to Rush Green and you know it wouldn't be a season if we don't have a couple of injuries would it at West End no, no, so no, you know it, it, it. that's what I'm saying And but it was good to get that done get them results and then look to the new year and think he's on his way back mm. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think one thing about Payet as well, you know, he although he was such a maverick himself, what I always remember about that last season up to Park, you look back now, and our standard squad, or our standard first eleven for for most games, if you if it was Adrian in goal, you'd have Jenkinson, and then it'd likely be you'd have Og Bonner and one of Collins or Tompkins or whatever. Cresswell at left back, Noble and Kiati at the base of that midfield, and then Lanzini, Payet, uh, Zarati might have been in there with Sacco up top. I think if you all of those players that you that are still there or had spells at the club after that, I can't think of any bar maybe Lanzini who've got anywhere near the level they played in that season at Upton Park. And whether or not it was just the Piet effect or it was the you know the general emotion of the whole occasion, I genuinely don't think, other than Lanzini, any single one of the players who were regularly in that first eleven did anything other than go downhill from that year. Yeah, you're 100%, 100% right, mate. And and I think that's the, you know, that's, that's the, the problem when you do get a player like... And this is not, but our level, we we rarely get a player that is head and shoulders above everybody, mm. you know. And to lose him, but also you're right, it's some players. Then you just, I don't know, they, they, they lose a bit of confidence, or yeah, Cresswell got injured, didn't he? Kiyate was yeah, never the same. I, the I just same. sort of felt that the wind had been taken out of everyone's sails a bit. Yeah, Pyatt started souring the first year, but. That there, obviously, we can we can come onto that anyway. But all, all in all, come come Christmas time, I think everyone at West Ham was all pretty happy, especially when we ended the year with a win of a two-one at home to Southampton. So coming up next, we'll look at the the new year and new year, new us. Well, sort of anyway. So thanks for listening to part one of the We Are West Ham nostalgia series with me, William Pugh, and Reese Bayliss. Don't forget to stay tuned to the We Are West Ham podcast for James Jones, Tom Edwards and I for our usual ramblings on all of the goings on at West Ham. Obviously, there was a lot over Christmas. So if you tune into the normal podcast, which will still be running, or Love Sport Radio every Tuesday night at 7pm, you'll be able to hear our thoughts on David Moyes, the board and lots, lots more. But for now, this was episode one of the We Are West Ham Nostalgia series and stay tuned for episode two And the final part of the last season of Upton Park coming up soon.
Social Podcast Network.